As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman, back with another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. We're ramping up for the World Juniors. We've got our tournament preview episode on tap today, including uh, the tournament favorites, our dark horses, the draft eligibles to watch. It's going to be a really fun show. Before we get into all that, I just wanted to remind you, if you are a fan of the show, we would really appreciate if you would go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. It would mean a lot to us. I won't bug you about it anymore. On to the show. Corey, how you doing? I am doing well, uh, Max. It is a busy time of year, and it's an important time of year in the prospect sphere. Uh, but I am doing well. How about you? I'm doing good too. It's uh, an extended NHL holiday break here, so a surprise extended holiday break uh, that that uh, everybody I think is kind of playing catch up for. But uh, all the more attention going spotlighted onto the World Juniors, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And obviously, any talk about the World Juniors any year has to start with Team Canada. Yeah, I mean, Team Canada typically is the favorite for for this event. Um, it, all that usually changes is the question of just how much of a favorite they are. And, and this year, I, I would say they're a significant favorite going into the tournament, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, up front, very deep group of forwards. Uh, they have, they have four lines that can score, four lines of significant talent, high first round picks. Uh, you know, they're going to start right now, at least going to the pre-tournament with a, with a ninth overall pick in Dylan Genther on the fourth line, for example, uh, and various other first rounders mixed throughout their lineup. They have a, you know, they have Shane Wright playing on the team, who is a projected first overall pick this summer as a top two line center. Cole Perfetti, who played very well for them at the last World Juniors and was at the World Championships uh, last spring, is on the four group. Of course, on defense, they have the last year's first overall pick, Owen Power. Uh, the defense group, I wouldn't say, is as deep as the forward group, but it's still, you could argue, it's either the best or the second best group of defensemen at the tournament. And Owen Power, I think, is very reasonably expected to be the best player at the tournament. And then, unlike in a typical year for Canada in recent history, in goal, they are very strong in, in goal as well. Uh, you know, Sebastian Kosa, the first-round pick by Detroit, is expected to be a top goalie at the tournament. And, and should he falter... You have Dylan Guerin and Brett Brochu, who have both been very good junior goaltenders. And, and for those reasons, I think you look at a team that has star power and depth at all positions. I think that's the key, too. I mean, I think you look back at last year's World Junior to the Canadian team that, that dropped the gold medal game 2-0 um, in the finals to the Americans. A couple differences this year, one being the Americans aren't going to have Spencer Knight, and, and there may not be a goalie in the tournament as good as Spencer Knight, but 
to your point, if there is, there's at least an even money chance that goalie also plays for Team Canada. Now, Kosa doesn't have the world junior experience uh, that Spencer Knight did, so I don't think he's going to be able to turn in that kind of performance. But I think if you can get really steady goaltending for this Canadian team, it is that combination of, you know, you're going to have one line with Cole Perfetti, one line with Kent Johnson, one line with Dylan Genther. They're going to be able to score on you, presumably from all four lines. They're going to be able to defend. And they do have that last line, unlike past years. I think they're the prohibitive favorite. Right. And last year, Devin Levi was one of the best goalies in the tournament. Goaltending sure. had the issues true. last year. But he was a surprise performance. You know, you go into the tournament and Sebastian Kosa is the guy. He's the 6'6 goalie uh, with pedigree. He has great great tools. Uh, he's expected, you know, there aren't a lot of years in the last 10, 15 years where you go into a World Junior tournament and say, I think the goalie is going to be one of Canada's best players. And as of now, that is the expectation. I want to talk about the defense core because with with Owen Power in, in the full, I think he's going to get a lot of the attention. But one of the other guys who was in that draft class, Olin Zellweger, we, we touched on him a little bit in the last episode. That's a guy who could, I, I think, kind of put himself on a lot of more casual fans' uh, radars in this tournament. Right. And he's projected to be a top four defenseman to start the tournament. I think he is uh, currently playing on, on one of the top two pairs uh, through the practices right now for Canada. And he is an 18-year-old. It's a 19-year-old tournament. So I'm not expecting him to be a top performer at this event. But I think he he can definitely uh, have a, a solid tournament. Excellent skater. Excellent hockey sense. Uh, this is this is a guy who makes a lot of good things happen when he's on the ice. I'm not expecting him to be a top point producer for this team. But in terms of yes, in terms of a casual NHL fan, I think he could be a very solid player both this year and next year. And definitely put himself a little bit more onto the national radar. I'm sure we're going to get to, to Shane Wright more in a minute when we talk about the draft eligibles later in this episode. But because he is expected to play a really prominent role for Team Canada, I think we should get a little bit of a primer for what to expect from him right now. You know, when people think uh, number one overall pick, uh, you know, you expect to see some goals. And, and that is something that Shane Wright can certainly bring for Team Canada right away with with a really dangerous shot. Yeah, I think, you know, he's a dangerous all-around player. His, his shot is probably his best weapon, but he's a very smart uh, player. He can make plays. He has a high skill level. He competes really well. I, I think with the Shane with Shane Wright, there's nothing about his game that I think will truly be elite in the NHL. Maybe his shot, but I think what makes him so appealing as a pro prospect is I think all aspects of his game are, are quite strong. He is a very well-rounded hockey player and that is why he is currently slated to be a top two line center on the world junior team even as a 17 year old the other centerman obviously mason mctavish third overall pick from last year and and we're, we're talking about the depth of this forward group like i have mason mctavish when i did my my red wings uh world juniors preview i, I put some predictions on the all-star team in there i haven't predicted to be an all-star at this tournament partly because i think that line with him and kent johnson um, is going to be super dangerous. Now, we'll see how it shakes out. I, I think I, I could have just as easily gone with Cole Perfetti and Shane Wright as line mates who could have been doing a lot of that damage. But the blend, I think, that you'll see between those two players in particular, um, the, the creativity, the skill of Kent Johnson, the sense uh, to go along with, with, a, with a powerful game from Mason McTavish. Like This is a line that I think is going to do a ton of damage. Right, and Mason McTavish is the other. I just said the other center. Both him and Shane Wright were the top two centers at the U18 World Championships last spring, uh, where they played excellent. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll just be interesting to see where these lines end up. With only one pre-tournament game, there isn't a lot of time to test things out. Sometimes they will Canada and other teams will use these pre-tournament games to, to experiment. Uh, so we'll see whether these lines stay together or not. Canada has so many options, even through like the practices. They've guys have moved around a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I think Mason McTavish, a guy who's played the National Hockey League this season, who is an excellent all-around player, uh, I do expect as well. He should be a top performer of the tournament, and he is currently slated to be on the top power play unit. Uh, so that that will give him a great opportunity to potentially be a top scorer in the tournament. Ken Johnson, interesting, interestingly, is not currently practicing on the on the first power play unit. It is right now, I believe. It is Cole Perfetti, Maverick Bork, Kent, uh, Mason McTavish, Shane Wright, and, and Owen Power. But given Canada's depth of options, that could change rather quickly. If I put you in a time machine today and pulled you out and told you it was it was two weeks from now, 
and Canada had not won the gold medal at this tournament, what would be your best guess as to what happened and why why Canada was not the gold medalist? It would I, – I think they are, like I said, a strong favorite. But there are plausible scenarios where they don't win, particularly in single elimination tournaments. Uh, the team that I think would have the best chance to unseat them would be the United States. Uh, the United States does not have the star power they had last season. If you if you recall, um, you know, going back to the 2019 draft, that was the year of the exceptional NTDP age group with Jack Hughes, Trevor Zegers, Alice Turcott, Cam York, Cole Caulfield, Spencer Knight, Matthew Boldy, all from that same program going in the top 15 picks. Jack Hughes wasn't at the tournament last year, but all those other guys were, as long as well as Arthur Kaliev. And Jake Sanderson, it was a really good team, a really deep age group. They don't have that depth this year. That being said, uh, you could make a really good argument that their defense is the best group of defensemen at the tournament. Obviously, Canada has own power and a very good group of defensemen. But I think you look at what Jake Sanderson is doing in college this season. You look at what we did in the tournament last year, the summer showcase. You look at what Luke Hughes is doing in college this season. You look at what Brock Faber has done at the junior level the last couple of years. And I think they have some pretty good 19-year-olds, Ian Moore, Scott Morrow, Wyatt Kaiser, uh, who could potentially you know, supplement those guys. You know, I could see a scenario where that defenseman leads them to success. Uh, the forward group is still very good. They have Matt Benier, second overall pick, great, great prospect. They don't have the depth at four that they had last year, and they don't have Spencer Knight in goal that they did last year, even though Drew Comesso was a good goalie. Uh, the path for them to win, I think, would be that those that group of defensemen led by Sanderson and Luke Hughes have to play out of their minds. And the, whatever line Matthew Beniers is on, currently he is slotted to play with, with Brett Berard and I believe Matt Coronado to start the tournament, but that could change. They play out of their minds and the goaltending is good enough. That, I think, is a path to where they could win the tournament. When I think of of uh, I don't know if this is just the the miracle on ice bias that that worms into all of our brains thinking about Team USA. It is kind of a a grit and grind recipe. But but I'll say when we talk about the defensemen needing to be some of the U.S.'s best players, we're talking about offense here. Like when we talk about a Luke Hughes and a Scott Morrow and, and yes, a Jake Sanderson, these are going to have to be some of the Americans' leading scorers for them to realistically win this tournament. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think if Team USA wins this tournament. It's going to be hard for me to fathom that Jake Sanderson is not an MVP candidate because, like you said, he's going to have to make a lot of stops, but he's going to need to be a top offensive producer like he was in college this season, like he was at the Summer Showcase, and like he was with his age group two years ago internationally. Uh, you know, that has, that has to be the path for them to, to, to win is those defensemen need to be, you know, those defensemen, their defensemen are their best offensive players. We talked about this at the Washington in the, in the winter camp uh, that you know, you're looking at their power play, they might run, you know, three or four defensemen on their two power play units because uh, because that's some of the where all their offensive talent is right now. And in net, Drew Camesso, you know, he's at BU right now. He is a second year player. Uh, sorry, at least a 19 year old eligible at, at this tournament. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to be Spencer Knight. I don't think you can expect him to come in and steal the tournament for you. But with a really strong group in front of him, I think every capability to, to give you a big game when you need it. Yeah, I think he's a good goalie. He's, a, he def, he's definitely a very good junior goalie. Has a chance to be a, has a chance to be a, a, an NHL player. I think with Drew, yeah, you said your your calibrations have to be you know a little bit more realistic. You're not expecting him to be Spencer Knight where he gets a shutout in the gold medal game against Canada. But I think he could. He he's good enough to hold the fort down. As long as the other pieces do well enough and play at high enough levels to to give them a chance to succeed, what are the players who I think fans at home will they'll hear his name for the first time probably at this tournament? And that's Dominic James, undrafted player, uh, gets the invite to the camp and, and makes this team. What has Dominic James done to put himself not just you know onto kind of Team USA's radar after at, he wasn't even at the Plymouth camp, but onto the team and, and potentially in, into a meaningful role for them? Yeah, I mean, to be determined what kind of role he plays, if any, I think the, th- the thing with James that he's got him onto the team as an undrafted player, uh, really, really good skater. He competes really hard, and you see this often with deeper federations who have lots of options, particularly like Canada and the United States, 
when they're looking to build out a roster, they look at guys who can provide, you know, a little bit more speed and energy, penalty kill type of role, and they, and they think they, they viewed James as a guy that who, they really liked what he did in Minnesota Duluth this season, and he could bring that speed to the team. I think when I, when you look back at last year's team, though, like one of the one of the reasons that team had success is they were able to get, um, you know, kind of an identity line down the lineup, and and that did involve you know Brett Berard, and and he's obviously now playing very high up in the lineup for Team USA. But there is a potential that to have something with a little bit of that flavor there when you look at him, Red Savage, Carter Mazer. We'll see what I don't know if they're going to be a line, but those are all kind of guys who can bring that surprise element where it's they could kill penalties uh, and and they can maybe surprise you with a little bit of offense. Yeah, and just frankly, this USA team is not as skilled as last year's team. They have some, they have skill, but they they don't have the type of offensive uh, players they had last year, where you had guys like Matt Boldy and Trevor Zegras and and Arthur Kaliev, you know, on on a line. You had second power play units with Bobby Brink and Brendan Brisson, uh, and Brisson barely even played in that tournament, and he's a top you know a top scorer on a good team right now in Michigan. They don't have the kind of skill, so they're going you know there's going to be a lot of you know, speed compete type guys who have to will have to excel for them to have a chance. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Corey. So outside of the Americans, realistically, probably three teams that we would say today have a chance to do something really surprising. Maybe two with with the possibility with third. Sweden, Russia, and then you, I don't think you can ever count out Finland at one of these international tournaments, especially they do look like they're going to have the goaltending to, to get weird in the uh, single elimination rounds. But am I fair to say those are the three teams that, that also have a chance if it's not Canada or the U.S.? Yeah, I think those are the ones that have the least plausible chances. I would argue Finland's is more semi-plausible than the other two just because they lost out to Ratu. Uh, yeah. Uh, due to due to COVID issues, it was, I mean, there's they don't really have that kind of depth, and I think they're going to struggle to. They could contend for a bronze, I think, but I think to to get to win a gold medal game, I think, would be very challenging for for this group. Uh, but Russia and Sweden, I think, have more of a plausible uh, argument um, for a couple of reasons. I think there is a little bit more depth on their team. They may not have a ton, at least Russia's team doesn't have at least a ton of older star caliber players. They have good players. You know, the, the four group has a fair amount of talent. Obviously we'll talk about the, the young players like Matvey Mishkov and Daniel Yurov, who I expect will be important players for them. But they also have guys with, you know, some pro experience like Marek Kuznadinov, Nikita Chibrikov, Fedor Svechkov, who, who can help that team. Uh, and while I think their skater group is solid, you know, they have a good group of forwards. Their defenseman is, I think solid, if not unspectacular. The story for Russia for them to succeed will be Yaroslav Askarov, who coming up as a teenager has always been, has historically at least been stellar in international tournaments. Um, but the World Juniors, the last two years, uh, have not always been kind to him. He was good in the last year's tournament, but he wasn't outstanding. And obviously, in his draft eligible season, when he was, mind you, he was 17. But he, he didn't have a, a good performance there either. It's one international game this year for, with the with the men's national team. He wasn't so good either, to be quite honest. So I think this is a this is a big week for Yaroslav Askarov to you know show what he's done at younger ages and kind of put the the demons of past world juniors behind him. And if he does that, he is probably more than any other goalie in this tournament, including Jesper Walton, Sebastian Kosa. He is the guy who has the ability to steal games against excellent teams such as the United States or Canada. 
to your point, I mean, his performance in last year's World Juniors, while not spectacular, was almost identical to what Spencer Knight did um, in his draft plus one year. Um, and, and Askarov actually did it while playing more games. So it is totally conceivable that he takes that leap, turns in that 940-ish save percentage, and almost, you know, not single-handedly, but but puts Rush on his back and, and brings him into the medal round, if not the gold medal game. Yeah. Uh, that There's the potential for that. Yeah, I mean, you go back to the Holinka Gretzky two summers ago, where Canada had a loaded team with a lot of the names you're expecting to see here, you know, led by uh, Quinton Byfield, uh, Cole Perfetti, Hendrix Lapierre, uh, Jake Neighbor, Seth Jarvis, Caden uh, Gooley, you know, all those guys, all those guys, Lucas Cormier there too. A lot of those guys were on that team, and they looked, they looked like they were just going to roll through everybody to the gold medal, and then they'd run into Russia, who didn't really have that great a skater group, but but they just couldn't beat Askarov. And again, for it's it's hard to bank on a goalie to win you games. It's a really high expectation to have, especially at the junior level. Um, but but that is their path to success. How about up front? Who's going to score goals for this Russian team? Yeah, I think it's not going to be one guy who will probably rise above the rest. Obviously, like I said, Matvey, Mishkov, and Ilyurov are the top prospects on this team, but they're very young players. I think it's going to kind of be a committee of group. You're going to have those two young guys. You're going to have Marek Kuznadinov, Fedor Svechkov, Nikita Chibrikov, uh, the Ska players. You're going to have Vasily Ponomaryov in there, returning player from last year's team. Good, good prospect for Carolina. I think those guys will comprise the top three lines. You're going to kind of hope that enough of them contribute enough offense that if Askarov is very good, it can win you games. And then on defense, I mean, I, th- I think a couple of the big names, uh, Shakir Mukamadoulin, obviously the first round pick of the Devils. I um, mean, Kirill Krasanov was a guy in the last draft uh, that, that I liked and I think you liked as well. Um, anyone else on the blue line that, that fans should be watching for from this team? Yeah, I mean, those two are expected to definitely be their top defensemen. Mukamadoulin played a lot versus men uh, in November, and I think there's, there's going to be a lot expected of him in this tournament, uh, as well as Kersanov. They have some younger players like uh, Vladimir Grudonin with, with, with the CSKA. Arseny Koromosliev with Ska, particularly the latter, who I think will be a high draft pick. And some other guys who are who are interesting. I think the, the Sabres pick, uh, Novikov, is having a good season. is probably exceeding expectations to some extent. But uh, it's definitely more Kersanov and Makamadoulin who are going to have to carry the load for them at this event. We're going to save uh, Danila Yurov for, for a minute from now when we talk about the draft eligible. So let's shift into Sweden. Um, and obviously the story of that team is is on their top line with, with we. We presume William McClendon Alexander holds. Yeah, and and as of now, Oscar Olison, the Colorado first round pick, is also that's playing right. with him on on that first line, and those are that's a, that's an excellent line, a line that could easily contend to be among the among if not the very best at the tournament. Uh, you know, Eklund's a dynamic player, uh, doesn't usually play center, so that will be interesting to see how he how he handles playing center, uh, for given that he doesn't really have a whole lot of recent experience doing that. Uh, but he has done it at a point over the last couple of years. And I, you know, he's an excellent skater, ex- you know, really high skill level. He competes well. You know, I think he will create a lot of offense for his two line mates and Holton Olison, who are both goal scorers and we will, who also have a lot of talent in their own right, but will be able to convert the chances that Eklund generates. Um, and as well, just create offense off the entries that he'll probably be able to, to execute. Uh, after that, though, that after that line, this is kind of where it becomes tougher for these non-USA teams, I think, to have really solid pass to gold medals is the depth of this team falls off rather quickly. Uh, they have you know some good players left, like Isaac Rosen is a first-round pick, Fabian Liesel is a first-round pick. Um, and obviously, you go to the, the defense, we'll talk about Simon Evanson and how you know, he's an excellent, excellent prospect. But the overall depth of this roster is not all that inspiring. Um, so that's why I think you're going to need that top line, Simon Evanson on defense, and particularly, like with Russia, Jesper Wallstedt and Net, to all have excellent, excellent weeks for them to even have a chance to, to be a contender. What I think is interesting about Sweden's roster is they have a couple of kind of instant offense guys, like guys who maybe you're not expecting to be possession monsters for the entire game and, and winning all these little battles. But in Liesel and Rosen, like those are two guys that on any given moment can spring a breakaway and, and go bar down on you. Like th- those are guys who can score um, on pretty much any shift that you just don't expect it's going to be this constant hounding. So that, to your point, kind of underscores the importance of Wallstead. If he can keep them in games, 
you might strike gold a couple of times with those guys. Yeah, maybe maybe not actual goals, but but <laughs> I think <laughs> but I think they have a chance. Yes, to be to be competitive and compete for a medal for sure. Uh, yes, I, I as I said, I do like Rose and I like Walt. I like Lee Sell, but they're eighteen year olds. They're five eleven ish guys who are not you know f- you know physically dominant. So I think it's going to be tough for them, especially as wingers to impact possession and and that's significant away against the better teams. Um, but like I said, it's like they're a good team. They are. There's absolutely. They absolutely could medal. There's even a plausible path where they can get a gold if certain key players play at the top of their game for the for, for that two week stretch. In particular, Wallstead in, the, in that top line in Edvinson. Um, but a lot would need to go right for them to to do that. And then finally, we'll, we'll finish up on Finland. I think we touched on it right at the beginning of this segment. We don't expect this team uh, to to really threaten for gold, but. They, they just tend to kind of play the style in these international tournaments that in single elimination, a big game from Joel Blomqvist or Levi Marilainen um, can very easily get them into the medal round very quick. And at that point, you know, you never know. Yeah. And, you know, I would expect if the tournament, you know, for, for the tournament, I think Blomqvist will be the guy. Uh, I think Marilainen outplayed him in the summer camp, but Blomqvist has definitely had the better season so far. So I think my instinct is they probably will lean towards him to be the guy. Uh, and they have some good players on this team, like Ronnie Hervonen and Casper Simon Taval played well at this tournament last year. I expect they'll be top players in them again this year. I don't know if they'll be top players in the overall tournament, but they can be top players at, you know, for them for sure. And definitely score in this tournament. You have Topi Nimala, who was one of the best defensemen in last year's tournament. is having simply an outstanding season in Finland right now. You know, he's a teenage defenseman and he's among the leading scorers in all of Liga. You know, he's, Good skater. He has an extremely high level of hockey sense. And, you know, if this team finds a way to medal, you know, I, I have to imagine that Nimla just is playing out of his mind for over that 10 day stretch uh, to go with probably good performances from the forwards. And they're probably going to need some big tournaments from some of the younger guys. Not only guys who are maybe 18, like a Ville Koivinen, who's having a good year with Carpat, but the draft eligibles like Joachim Kamel and Brad Lambert are going to have to have some real significant impact on their offense. All right, let's make some predictions here. I I published mine this morning in The Athletic. Uh, I've got Canada, U.S., and Finland with the run to the bronze. Uh, And I've got the all-star team as Johnson, McTavish. I think I put Veneers on there if I can pull this up really quick. Uh, Yep, uh, Sanderson, Nimala, Kosa, and the MVP, Kent Johnson. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Give me your your medalists and your all-star team. Canada for the gold. United States for the silver, Russia for the bronze, uh, all-star team. Uh, I would say Perfetti. It'll probably be, I think he's, for me, he's, it's going to be, I think, hard for him, me to imagine him not being among the scoring leaders at the tournament. Um, two other forwards. I, I, I like the Beniers one. I'll go, I'll go with Beniers there as one and a second one. Uh, I also like, I like the Mason McTavish one. So I'm going to steal a couple of yours right there. On defense, uh, Sanderson and Owen Power. And the goaltender, I think Askarov. All right. I like it. And we fully expect everybody to hold us to these uh, a couple weeks from now. All right. Before we get into the mailbag, Corey, I did want to run you through some of the draft eligibles that are going to be at this tournament. Many more than last year's. It's going to be much more uh, interesting tournament for, for the draft-specific uh, purposes uh, at this tournament. Really, every team has somebody worth knowing at the very top of this uh, 2022 NHL draft. We talked about Shane Wright. He's going to need to play a big role for Canada. Same deal for Logan Cooley in the U.S. On a team that needs offense, he's one of the guys who certainly has the potential to bring it. But but some of these European teams, and I want to start with Slovakia, have a couple of guys who are, are going to be really interesting players for, for draft watchers. That starts with Yuri Slavkovsky and Simon Nemec. Yeah, I mean, Slovakia... Uh, was very surprising in the summer at the Link- that the Holinka Gretzky Cup, uh, where they were a silver silver medal uh, winner at that event, which is very which was very uncommon to for them to even have that kind of success at, at any international tournament in, in in modern times. And a big reason for that was the performance of their 04 age group with Yuroslavkovsky and Simon Nemec and Philip Messar to an extent having monster tournaments. And I'll, this is going to be a very young Slovakia team. There's going to be some, uh, quite a, f- a few 04s on the team, some 05s on the team, uh, and Slavkovsky and Nemec uh, are expected to be important players. They were among the best players on the team last season, 
Heck, they were even on the world championship team for Slovakia as 16-year-olds. Uh, you know, they have a, a ton of international experience. And Slavkovsky is a guy in particular who, when I talk to NHL scouts, is often discussed as a top five, not a top three candidate for the upcoming NHL draft. The reasons being is he is this 6'3", 6'4", winger who can skate quite well for a guy his size, has an excellent skill level, he can make plays, and he has a very dangerous shot. Uh, his season with TPS has not been amazing. They have a very deep team. He hasn't gotten a ton of opportunity, but this will be his time to get opportunity. They will lean on him. Him and Nemec will both get a ton of minutes. And if Slovakia is to have some sort of success at this tournament, and by success, I don't mean medal. I, to me, success would be potentially winning a couple, winning a game or two, uh, Maybe making one of the the favorites sweat a little bit, maybe even going to a quarterfinal and and pushing a team potentially even winning a quarterfinal uh, that would be a success for me in their my opinion and I think with those guys it's very possible they're both really high end junior players and with very good uh, NHL potential uh, and, and I think I, I like both of them uh, Nemec is a very well rounded defenseman good skater very smart two way defenseman. Uh, but I think a lot of eyes will be on Slavkovsky to be a, a real uh, significant offensive contributor for this team. On the Czech team, you get David Juracek, who might be the top defenseman in this draft class. Is that fair of me to say? Got guy who's big, rangy, can make stops. Yeah, I think it's between him and Nemec, depending on what scout you ask. So, I mean, that, that's a guy who, for the Czech team, he's going to be in a, a tough spot. Like, you expect that team to be doing a lot of defending. He's probably not going to get to showcase... Uh, kind of the, the full offensive uh, uh, complement there that, that he can bring. Um, but that's sort of similar to what you've seen in, in past years. Like, I mean, Moritz Seider for that Germany team, his first year, and they had, you know, Stutzla, Paterka, uh, Reichel. But but there was, you know, times where you had to say, okay, they got to turn the ice here. And I think Juracek's going to be asked to play a, a huge role for them. He's going to be a key player. Yeah, I mean, he, he like, you know, like Slavkowski and Nemec, he's already played for the Czech national team which just shows how highly uh, that federation thinks of him. And you know, going back to the junior level now, he, he should play a massive role on this team in all situations. Uh, they have they don't really have like a ton of firepower on this team, but they have enough there, at least against like a non-Canada-United like States type team, where they should be able to get the puck up the ice enough, get enough powerful opportunities where he can use his skill, his shot to create offense. Uh, to go with his very strong defending. He is 6'3", but he's also a very physical player. He makes a lot of stops. And I, he was one of their best players in last year's tournament. So I definitely expect him to have a huge a tournament, at least for the Czechs. May not be one of the very, very best defenders, but definitely be the best defender for them this time around. We talked about Team Finland and how what their kind of path to success is. What we didn't talk about is two of the guys who do have the potential to really put the puck in the net for them. Those are both draft-eligible guys, Joachim Kamel uh, and Brad Lambert. Kamel tearing up Liga so far this year. He's scoring at a, at a really impressive I, – I don't, I don't know how much precedent really there is for the pace that he's scoring at. And, and Lambert, obviously, you talk about the speed. He's a guy who is prospect star, has wavered at various times through the – through the year, but he still has the toolkit to, on any given shift, uh, really do something special. Yeah, I mean, with Kamel, you're looking at similar rates to what Capocacco did, to what Patrick Laine did as draft eligibles. Obviously, he lacks the size of those two guys, so I wouldn't call him a prospect on the same caliber as them, at least as of now. Uh, but, you know, he is absolutely going to be one of their go-to players at this tournament because of what he has done, both internationally very good at U18 Worlds last year. Very good at Helenka Gretzky in the summer. But in particular, what he's done versus men this season. I mean, it's just outstanding. And he's, you, know, you can argue he's the best junior player in Finland right now. Uh, and and they will they will lean on him. And Brad Lambert, if Atu Ratu w- was still healthy, I expect maybe his role wouldn't have been as large. But given that they have lost one of their top two line centers, now they will probably look to Lambert to have a real impact on this team. And... I don't think his first half has been terrible. You know, I, I, I probably wasn't as good as you, he probably would have hoped it would have gone. And, and his stock has definitely slid. But he's still a very good prospect. A guy who I think will definitely go in the first round. Um, maybe not definitely, but fairly strong chance he'll go in the first round. Uh, and I think, you know, he, will, he can bring a lot of speed and skill to this lineup. And I think he can definitely... You know, start to ease some concerns with a solid tournament. 
Team Russia, there's two Russians that I think are kind of considered toward the top of this draft class. That's Ivan Mirishnichenko and Danilo Yurov. They go with Yurov, not Mirishnichenko for this roster. First of all, uh, do we know why the lean to Yurov over Mirishnichenko there? And, and then second, what are we expecting from Yurov? Uh, there was a U-20 tournament in November, a Four Nations, where both Mirishnichenko and Yurov played. I thought they were both good, but Yurov outplayed Mirishnichenko at that tournament. And if that's what it came down to, that probably led to the edge. Uh, keep in mind, a lot of guys were, who are on this team were not there. Chibrikov wasn't there. Mishkov wasn't there. Kuznadinov wasn't there. Ponomaryov wasn't there. Alexander Passion, a Carolina seventh round pick, also had a very excellent tournament. So it's been one of those things where they're building up the team and they just ran out of scoring roles pretty much. You can argue whether that's right or not, but I think that was kind of the path uh, that, that led to the cut. Uh, but as of now, I, you know, Yurov is on the team. Yurovsnachenko is not. Yurov is a guy, from what I've seen of him, who can kind of score every which way you need him to. From, with his shots, he can score with skill, and he can score around the net. Um, do we expect that to translate, I guess, right away to the to the U20 level? Uh, what kind of role are we, are we looking at for Danilo Yurov? Yeah, as you might recall, he was excellent at the U18 Worlds last, last spring. Him and Yurovsnachenko in particular were, were both very good. Uh, I think his skill level is exceptional. In terms of like the guys for, for this upcoming draft, I think his pure skill level is among the very highest. And, and for that reason, I see him fitting into a top six, top nine role on, on this team. I think he'll be able to play power play. I don't think as a draft eligible, he'll be one of the very best players on Russia. But I think he definitely can help them score and and contribute to a winning effort. And then lastly, a guy that I don't know that a ton of our listeners are going to be super familiar with, um, but probably should be. He's going to be playing for Austria. Uh, right now, he's playing for Rogla in the SHL, and that's Marco Kasper. Um, obviously, when you're playing for a team like Austria in this tournament, it, it can be hard to get consistent offensive zone puck touches and the kind of opportunities that I think everyone's going to want to see from from a potential first-round pick. But um, can you just talk a little bit about how Kasper has put himself uh, – how he's raised his stock, I guess, this year? Yeah, I mean, I think talking to teams around the league, he's about, he's almost in every scout's top 20, some top 15, or even higher to some extent. Uh, there's a lot of interest in this player. 6'1", 6'2", 4", with good skating, really good skill. He competes well. He can make plays. He can score. Uh, he's scoring versus men right now on a good Swedish uh, league team in Rogla. Uh, he said there's a lot of interest in him right now. He played with the national team in November. He held his own. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like At this level... On Austria, they're not going to have the puck that much, but they will. There will be some games, particularly versus Germany, uh, versus the Czech Republic, even to an extent where you imagine they'll have the puck a little bit more than their games versus, you know, versus Finland or versus Canada. Um, and those will be good tests for Casper. You know, if he goes, you know, we, if if they win that game versus Germany, I expect he'll have a big role on that. If they go into the game versus the Czech Republic, probably not going to win it. But if they go in there and score a couple of goals and, you know, make, maybe make them a little bit nervous. I imagine he'll have a big impact on that too. So I, you know, I think there is a definitely a path for them, maybe not to have a, you know, a huge tournament like Tim Stutzla had two years ago, uh, but have a, a tournament where he makes himself noticeable and, and generates uh, draft attention to himself. Should be fun to watch. If, if you are a fan of a team that uh, does not look like they're going to make the playoffs this year, there's a very real chance that uh, one of the guys your team uh, drafts plays in this tournament. Uh, so it'll be a, should be a fun tournament for, for the draft watchers. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. 
It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, let's move into the mailbag here. Uh, some good ones today. The first one's from Trent. He wants to know your impressions of Brennan Offman so far in his draft plus one season. Yeah, I think he's had um, a good season with Flint. He's scoring at a, at a very good rate. Um, I think he's showing a lot of things that, you, at least in the little bit of Flint that I've watched, I, I probably haven't keyed into much on Flint, but because uh, Saginaw has a top draft eligible, I've caught him enough in passing. Um, you know, really skilled, really competitive player, has good physicality, um, you know, can score goals, can make plays. I think you know, the reason why he's not on the World Junior team is just his skating still not ideal. Um, I think he'll definitely be a major part of the World Junior team next season, but that was probably the one aspect that kept him off the team. Um, probably for me, he was, what, the 15th overall pick last year? 15, 16, something like that? Something like that. Yeah, he went to the Rangers right there in the middle of the teens. Yeah, I think that's. I think his stock's still probably right around that same spot. All right, next one is from Mike McEwen. Is Dmitry Brzezewski for real? That's for those who don't know, the Winnipeg Jets prospect. Uh, he's 21 years old. He's, he's out to one of the best starts in the KHL, one of the top scorers in the league so far this year. Is he for real, Corey? Yeah, I mean, I... We got these questions about him early in the season when he was starting uh, to, to play well. And my answer was, um, you know, let's refrain from jumping to conclusions too quickly. See how the season played out. You might recall that Matvey Guskov, we also got questions about him, the wild prospect. And I think he's barely scored at all since then uh, after he got a couple of points there early on. So that's why you kind of want to be patient. And, you know, and watching, you know, I've watched Rusevsky quite a bit with Dynamo Moscow. I watched, and I also said at the time, uh, we want to wait to see how he does with the national team too, because I think that'd be a different context for him. Uh, he went to the national team tournament in November, and honestly, I thought he was just okay there. And I think I get the kind of balance all that information. Um, and I see a guy with really good skill, really good offensive instincts. Uh, I see a guy with a really good shot. I think his skating is just okay. Uh, I don't see him as like this great all around forward. And I think for those reasons, you know, I, I like this player. I think if you read it, the draft, I think it was a fifth round pick, third year eligible, I think. By Winnipeg, you know he's going uh, much higher. You know, I, I'm not at the point where I think he's a true top prospect yet because of the skating. Um, so I don't think he'd be like a first rounder in a redraft. But I think second, third round, um, very, very much in the realm of, in the realm of, of realism. Uh, I think he is a guy I think could play in the National Hockey League, which I did not think a year ago. I think this is a guy who could potentially be maybe a fourth, third line player in the National Hockey League right now. Um, which in the fifth round, you're, you're very happy to get. All right. Ryan Hindman says, looking back, who would you take first, Sanderson or Drysdale? I think he's talking about the 2020 draft. Uh, genuinely curious. It's still way too close to call, but as a Sens fan, I've been very happy with Sanderson's development. Cheers and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too, Ryan. Corey, who would you take right now, Sanderson or Jamie Drysdale? To his point, man, is that a tough call? Because they're both really good players and it's, it would be real tight for me, um, it, you know. Obviously, so what Sanderson's doing in the national in in on the national hockey league in, in the NCHC, very impressive. Um, been you know arguably one of the best players in college hockey. You know, if Owen Power wasn't there, he's probably going to win the Hobie Baker or at least be in the mix for it, kind of thing. Uh, and what he's you know what he did with the U twenty team in that last last tournament this summer. Great player, great all-around defenseman, skating, offense, you know, defending, all really good. But Jamie Drysdale, I think he's got like what, like 17, 18 points already as a as a teenage defenseman in the National Hockey League. That's that's not nothing either. And you know, we want to talk about you know what Trevor Zegers is doing right now and how that's leading to some of their the success of of the Anaheim Ducks right now. But Jamie Drysdale has been a, a big part. of Sorry, fourteen point my mistake. Still quite impressive for a nineteen year old defenseman. Absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, his skating's outstanding. I mean, he, it's, it's better than Sanderson's, and Sanderson's skating is ridiculous. It's really good, too. Um, and yeah, I think Drysdale is hell, hell of a player. It's near a coin flip for me right now, as, as the reader alluded to. 
but just because of, I think there's a little bit more pro upside there because he is the 6'2 guy who can really skate and it seems like the offense is really coming. If you had to make me pick, I would lean towards Sanderson, but you know, I, my answer could change in a week too. I think it's that close. I, I agree with you, Eileen Sanderson, but uh, certainly there's a reason those two went back to back in the 2020 draft. And I have to imagine whichever order any given person thinks, they, they probably have them back to back too in, in a redraft. Uh, next one goes to Tyler B. Any chance that the Devils turn this season around, or is it a completely lost cause at this point? And if it is a lost cause, do you think they should be thinking about a coaching change considering what's happening with the Canucks? Yeah, I mean, obviously they didn't have Jack Hughes for a large part of that first half. So that was. Yes. Uh, a significant loss. And I obviously he's played a few games with them since then. Uh, you might want to see how long he does with them, how, how well they do with him with for an extended period of time. Uh, but I also don't think this was the, the deepest team to begin with. I think that, you know, rebuilds are always slow, painful processes. I think you had hoped it would go better to start, especially after adding Dougie Hamilton over the summer. Uh, you know, a couple of things have kind of played into that. I don't think Ty Smith, who I do really like has had uh, the best season. Uh, so, you know, that obviously uh, has hurt to some extent. Uh, the goaltending has been very not good, uh, you know, and that's been a variable. I don't mind Mackenzie Blackwood, but I've never kind of been of the, you know, I believe that he is a no doubt top 20 type of goal in the National Hockey League. He very well could be, but uh, his performance in the league has been very up and down uh, historically. So I, I don't... Uh, what you what a coaching change would do to help the goaltending, uh, but sometimes that does happen because goaltending can be very erratic and it, it, things can be coincidental. So people kind of allude that to the to the coaching changes. Uh, obviously, Dawson Mercer is having a good year, and you know there's some good young pieces on this team, but it just takes time to to take that next step. Um, and like I said, I, I would want especially before saying that this is not going according to plan, I would want to see Jack Hughes on this team for an extended period of time uh, before making any kind of decision about that. Absolutely. I think teams are too quick to fire coaches, if anything. Now, you have some examples over the years where teams make a coaching change and they go on a run. It happened with Pittsburgh, happened with St. Louis, and I don't think Vancouver is going to have it happen to either of those degrees, but obviously they've had the success they've had. But if anything, like I, I think teams are too impatient with, with coaches in the league. And, uh, you know, you can make a case that it, it's it's a button that you can push to get things jump started when they're spiraling. And obviously there are times when, when players need a new voice. But uh, by and large, like if you look at the long view, I, I don't think more coaching changes over a period of time tends to be uh, the the route that brings you the stability you ultimately need to turn around. You, you do just kind of need time sometimes. Yeah, I think it's easy to... You know, look at the examples where it works, but it's also easy to forget the examples where it doesn't totally. where it doesn't work, or like where like you look, look at Vancouver and you know you expected certain guys, you didn't expect Elias Pettersson was going to not be good for the rest for the rest of his career, kind of thing. You expect he would bounce back at some point. Um, you know, not to take any credit away from Bruce Boudreaux, he's a, he's an excellent coach, but uh, you know, there's you know whether it's that or things like goaltending, which can be very you know erratic. I I tend not to think that a coaching change will immediately turn around your fortunes. Teams are much more uh, complex than that. Here's a good one from Nolan Williams. Where does somebody new to looking at prospects go to learn? How and where do you typically watch prospects play and, and what do you look for? Well, uh, to start, I hear there's this thing called the World Junior Championship starting in a couple of days, <laughs> uh, which honestly is probably the best place to, to start learning about prospects because it will be on national television. Uh you will have like, excellent broadcasters like Gordon Miller and Ray Ferraro who will, uh, you know, introduce you to players in, in a way for, for a casual fan to start learning about them. Um, it is tough, I think, for people to start learning about them because there isn't uh, obvious uh, ways to watch that you can't go after, without going out of your way. You know, there's no, there are very few American League games and, and junior hockey games that are on, are on national television. Uh, there are very few college hockey games outside of the very end of the season that are on national television, such such as, such as the Frozen Four, um, or the or the national tournament games in general, which are on ESPN, uh, and that makes it challenging. You know, um, the World Juniors is a is a great place to start, um, and I think if that interests you, 
you can kind of slowly branch out to maybe try to focus on one of those other feeder leagues, whether it is a junior hockey league or a college hockey team. And if there's something, something that lives is nearby you, it can create an avenue for you to just go out and and watch. Uh, and frankly, I, I think that's an interesting thing for for fans to do. Um, even when I'm at I'm at games at, at you know whether it's junior rinks or college rinks, uh, you often see fans you know engage with with scouts in the media there because you know they'll go up to a scout and they'll be like, hey, you know who should I watch? Who's good here? Kind of thing. And you know, you know, the scouts will you know most of the time have polite conversations with with the fans and and tell them like you know yep. who who you know who's good and. And who we're all here to watch, kind of thing, because usually it's not any secret. Like if you go to whatever, you know, you go to a OHL game, and, and whatever you go to a game where the guy who's rated as a first rounder is there, they'll be able to very easily point that out. Uh, so I think those are some some of the, the steps that a, a tip, an average fan can take. Daryl W uh, wants to know about Bedard, Mitchkov, and Fantilli. All three obviously getting lots of attention ahead of the twenty twenty three draft. But are there any defensemen who? look like they could be kind of exceptional this far out it's 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 early but is there anybody who jumps to mind on, on the back end for that 2023 class um unfortunately at least the answer is no <laughs> that's not probably the, the great answer uh not to say there aren't great defensemen in next year's draft but nobody who rises to, to that level of like this is like a no doubt star prospect kind of thing um just kind of going through the countries i watched the canadian age group uh, just recently um Cameron Allen's a good prospect, but I don't think he's like a high, high end guy. Um, you know, on the United States level, Hunter Bershevich could be a first rounder next year, but again, not a high end guy. I don't think the NTDP age group for the 06s or sorry for the 05s or, or anything special. Um, between Finland, nobody really comes to mind. Russia, Mikhail Gulayev has a chance to be a good, good player. Really smart, uh, skilled defenseman, but five ten, not that fast. So it probably doesn't again rise to that highest of echelons. Um, so no, I think next year's draft, kind of like this draft, the premier talent uh, does look on forward. Robert F, uh, how's Alex Turcotte been doing for Los Angeles? He he, uh, he says every time I hear about Zegers and his highlights, I bury my head in my palms. Are the Ducks going to torment me and the Kings for the next decade? He's not on Zegers' level, but he is having a very good season. Ontario's had uh, been one of the top, I think, been one of, if not the top team in, in their division in the American League. Uh, Turcotte's been a big part of that, um, showing you know his usual great speed, great skill, highly competitive, generates a lot of offense around the net. Um, scoring numbers not outstanding, but he is scoring. Uh, he did just get called up. Uh, I think his progress is going very well. If you're expecting a top six forward, um, again, probably I probably wouldn't be expecting Trevor Zegers at least right now. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. We're going to have something for you on there soon. Start with a 30-day free trial. And then just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. You're going to want to jump on that to get all the World Juniors coverage. And then especially as we start picking up in the second half of the NHL season into the draft coverage. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. 